Hey everyone, this is Mark, and I am here to introduce part two of the Slumber Party Massacre review with Brian Tyler. And I don't know if you can hear it in the last episode, but you, I know for a fact you will probably come across a few audio issues in this one. I apologize for that. I couldn't get that fixed, or I, I tried to fix as much as possible. Um, me and Brian tried to fix it on each of our ends, but it was just not working for us that day. So, but at the same time, we figured out that we did have great conversation and we didn't want to lose any of that. So at least a, a majority of that was retained. So I hope you enjoy. And like I said, the last episode, in the introduction to the last episode, excuse me, I am still working on the episodes that were featured, the interview, the vampire um, reviews. <laughs> The Interview the Vampire episodes four, five, six, and seven reviews all going to be single episodes apiece. Um, I'm also working on a Night of the Demons review that's going to be solo. It's going to be me going through all four Night of the Demon movies. Yes, I'm including the remake. I know some people hate the remake, but it's way better than the part three, in my personal opinion. Um, and I'm also going to do a Black Panther Wakanda Forever review. Hopefully they'll be out the day after this episode hits because I've wanted to wait a good bit before Marvel themselves or Marvel Studios themselves started, you know, releasing new footage, new, you know, merchandise and whatnot that somewhat spoils the movie. And I don't want to be, you know, shouted at for spoiling it. So that's all coming soon. And this is just me introducing the Slumber Party Massacre Part 2 review. Uh, I mean, not Part 2 review, but the re Part 2 of Brian Tyler and I's Slumber Party Massacre review. There you go. Hope you enjoy. See you guys soon. Attention. Attention. Do not be disturbed. You are now leaving reality and entering Midnight Social Distortion. We are now here at Slum Party Massacre 3, also known as Captive Women in the Philippines. Hmm. How oh, captive could they be? I did not been? know that. Yes, Captive Women in the Philippines. They come up with all that was that was an interesting name because but it's very 90s, early 90s-esque, you know, like you know, early Cinemax, late at night. You see some weird on TV and it has a name like that. Um yeah. This movie actually premiered um, on September 7th, 1990. The only Slumber Party Massacre movie to be released in the 90s. Um, it was directed by Sally Madison and written by Catherine Siren. Siron? I don't know. And it stars Keely Christian, Britton Fry, M.K. Harris, David Greenlee, Hope Marie Carlton, and Maria Ford. Some of these women, I believe, were Playboy models. I know Hope Marie Carlton showed up in A Nightmare on Street 4, The Dream Master, as the girl in Joey's um, waterbed or his poster. 
Um, yeah. But yeah, so they look like, I think Maria Ford is one I think that actually did do Playboy. I could be wrong, but I just know that I've seen her on some somebody's magazine cover looking very, you know, erotic. So this movie grossed $1.2 million at the box office on a budget of $350,000. So the budget for this, this one was significantly lower than the last movie, which was $500,000. Um, but I'm surprised that it made $1.2 million. Not saying that, well, I am saying, I'm just going to stop lying. I'm surprised because I didn't think it should have made that much money. But at the time when horror movies were like, you know, being not phased out, but they were losing their luster. And like back in the mid to early 80s, that was probably a good, you know, gross for a small pit film that made, you know, made on the shoestring budget. But maybe the critical reception and the declining of horror at that point in time was one of the reasons why we didn't get a four or a five or anything like that, but I didn't sit there and extend it or something. So, um, like I said, this movie was produced by Roger Corman and Catherine Saran. And yeah, so I'm going ahead and read the synopsis right quick. A group of friends play volleyball on a beach in Venice, California. Jackie, one of the group is a high school senior throwing a slumber party that night as her parents are out of town looking for a new house. When the friends leave the beach, one of the girls, Sarah, gets into the car and is brutally murdered by an unseen assailant, the beach weirdo in the backseat with the power drill. That's not correct. This is also from Wikipedia. This synopsis is from Wikipedia. There's a weirdo on the beach that is very weird. He just shows up in all black and just sits on the beach and watches the girls. Um, yeah. And so they mentioned that uh, when the friends leave, like um, Jackie returns to her home and finds her odd neighbor Morgan there wanting to tour the house, to tour inside the house. He tells Jackie he's considering purchasing the property when she and her family move. That night, Jackie's friends, Diane, Maria, Juliet, Janine, and Susie arrive for the party. Shortly after, three boys, Frank, Tom, and Michael arrive and scare them. Jackie angrily tells the guys to leave. Frank and Tom go get something for the girls while Michael goes to apologize to them. Michael encounters a mass killer who impales him with a house for sale signpost. After another boy, Duncan, bribes a pizza delivery girl into delivering the pieces to the girls, she is chased and murdered by the same killer. The girls left Frank and Tom in the house, and Ken, Juliet's love interest, appears right behind them. Side note, Ken also appeared on the beach with the girls. And that's where Juliet and him actually met. Upstairs, after Juliet and Ken have sex, Ken leaves and Juliet is electrocuted by the unseen assailant in the bathtub. Might I add that the um, electrocution was caused by a vibrator that was actually... We'll get into that later. Uh, (laughs) Soon after, Maria finds Juliet's corpse in the closet. As Ken and Tom run to help, they stop by a lumber yard to get weapons. Ken, revealing himself as the killer, proceeds to whack Tom with the sledgehammer before slicing into his legs with the chainsaw. Ken goes to a van parked on the street where he has kept the bodies and a giant power drill. Inside, he examines a newspaper clipping regarding the suicide of his police officer, Uncle Billy, and recalls how he was sexually abused by him. 
Back at the house, Ken barges in and kills both Duncan and Frank. Maria finds Tom's dead body before her, and Janine runs to the door, but Ken follows Maria flees. Janine jumps through the glass door, and Ken drills her in the back, killing her. Susie hides in the upstairs closet, but Ken attacks her and knocks her unconscious. Before he can kill her, Maria knocks him in the head with the lamp, and he chases her. Jackie and Diane into the basement, where Jackie uses a spirit gun to shoot him, and they run back upstairs and kill oh, oh, back upstairs. Susie regains consciousness and throws bleach in Ken's face, blinding him. He catches Maria and kills her as well. Jackie, Susie, and Diane manage to knock Ken unconscious with the croquet mallet. As the three contemplate what to do, Ken awakens and begins slashing Diane with the knife, killing her. Susie manages to pin Ken to the floor long enough for Jackie to viciously plunge the drill through his chest multiple times. After he dies, Jackie finds a photo in Ken's shirt pocket of him as a child with his uncle. Susie goes to answer the police knocking on the door and the credits roll. Before I drag this movie, um, your thoughts, Brian? Um, this movie was like a so bad it's good movie for me and my friends. We used to watch it all the time and just laugh throughout the whole thing. Mm -mm. Um, so last night, or the night, but I had I don't think I've ever watched it by myself, except maybe the first time, which I I don't remember watching it the first time. Because I saw this one a lot, a, not a lot later, but a little bit later, like maybe 14 or 15. Mm -hmm. So anyway, I think it was last night or the night before I put it in to watch it for this podcast. So I was watching it for the first time, like critically, like taking notes. Mm -hmm. And it is, it is very bad. And there were no so bad it's good qualities when you watch it by yourself, it's just that. Well. Um, and we'll, we're going to get more into that. Um, well. But I, I want to hear your thoughts. Okay. Um, I don't even know where to begin. First and foremost, uh, I tell people all this when, they, when we talk about the Slum Party Massacre films is that the third one did not get the assignment they didn't understand the assignment rather um yeah this was a straightforward horror film but it was so like you said it was so bad and i don't want to say it was painfully obvious who the killer was i would give them one credit you thought it was the beach bomb guy it was not him um he saw one of the girls, actually, Jackie dropped her for some reason. Why do you have an address book with you when all your friends are with you? Like, why do you have an address book? Um, he she I drops her address, right? And it was saying it's a, it's not just like it's a little small book you keep in like your purse, it's a big, big ass um folder, it like it's supposed to hold pictures, really. Um, so that right there is, I guess I'll give them credit to say that the guy probably traced them with the address book and decided to sit there and start killing them. Um, but we find his dead body in her freezer later on. And so Ken, who is the killer, his motivations to kill the girls makes no sense. Like, why would you sit there 
and attack these girls? Why would you stalk and attack these girls and their guy friends and whatnot? And it just like, I don't care. You know, I was like, I really didn't care. And then some of the death scenes were just so fucking ridiculous. Um, one part of the movie that irked was two of them. One was the, the death of Janine. Why the fuck would you just jump out the glass and then just lay? She just laid there like she would knocked herself out and then he went and drilled her. That was dumb because you plus they weren't running fast enough. Do you not know how much space I can cross running through my own damn house? They were running like they had on high heels and it's like their feet were hurting them. And, yeah. and then we get to Maria, who I'm so sorry, girl, but that whole scene between her and Jackie in the back when she was talking about her parents and the dating and stuff like that, I was like, did y'all add that in post? Because it seemed like it was a forced scene. And it just took the... It took me out the movie. But when she got slashed and they went down into the basement... And they were trying to get her out the window down there. And she's acting like she could not get through that damn window. I was like... Oh my god, yeah, because at one point she's halfway out the window and then it cuts away and when it shows her again Exactly. Exactly. And I'm like... She's like, I can't. I just can't. And I'm like, why the fuck would you just... Okay, when do y'all get out the window, drag her ass up, and then you other person leave? Like... They were in there. They were down there for entirely too long. And they could have got out. But another thing for me is that how can y'all not get out the house? Like, how does the door get locked like that? And then this guy has his buzzsaw. Because, again, this is something else that I meant to bring up. They went back to a, a fully occupied neighborhood. And Morgan's creepy ass is over yeah. there looking at them in a um, telescope and I'm sure he was looking at the entire night to sit there and see somebody creeping outside their um, house and didn't call the cops over there or anything like that. But he probably thought they were going to call He probably scared to call the cops because he was being a creep. And they'd probably ask him like, why are you sitting here looking at the girls? But if you just sat there, just sat, if you just easily just sat there, see, I looked outside and I saw some guy in the mask walking around with a drill bit saw or a drill, a drill, you know what I'm saying? So, I don't know. It was just so much shit that was un- even in a low budget horror movie didn't make any sense. It was just like for a low budget horror movie that you actually there were Puppet Master sequels that made more sense than this movie. Yeah. I Phantasm mean Phantasm sequels. That's a good that's even better example. But I just had a lot of problems with it. And I remember watching it for the first time because I was excited to watch it because I wanted to complete the series. And this was before the remake was announced. And I was sitting there watching it like, they got to be shitting me with this. They really got to be shitting me with this. This is not good at all. And I can understand why we did a Slumber Party Massacre 4 or whatnot. So, I mean, there was too many girls for one damn thing. Um I'm not going to lie. I got three of them mixed up. I got Juliet and Janine mixed up. And then the only ones that I did recognize was Diane, Jackie, and um, Susie. 
Those were the only ones. Oh, and um, Maria. They're the only ones I recognized. The other, um, was it Janine and Juliet? I can I didn't recognize. I could, I kept getting them mixed up until Juliet went upstairs with Ken. I'm like, okay, that's the one that met the guy at the beach. Yeah. Um, her death scene. I didn't know vibrators. This is how closed. I thought all vibrators came with like batteries. Do you have to use them with batteries? I didn't know that they used to have vibrators back then that you plug into the wall. It's like. I don't know. Yeah, I didn't know that. That too. that that took me for a loop, and I was like, "Oh, how cute!" Um, and one last thing, Morgan being in the house, which I guess a throwback to the original movie with um, Mr. Content, Content, whatever his name is, being in the house, but he was overtly creepy. Like, yeah, get him, at, get his ass out the house. Um. If I was Jackie, I would have called my parents and be like, yo, this motherfucker over here, no. Yeah. Um, that's the thing, is this movie, they try to do a whodunit, um, which they hadn't done yet in the series. So I right. thought that's right. kind of a a cool idea because they could have done something interesting with it, but they just did. Um, you got like two major red herrings, uh, Morgan and the weirdo from the who are just like mm. so obviously red herring. And then um I want to say Ken's kind of obvious, but the um marketing for the movie, like when I found the DVD, it had Ken with the drill on the back cover. So plus it's Did in, the even try. in the trailer. So is it? Now I haven't even seen the trailer for that one yet. Yeah. Um, um. Yeah. Pretty much all of the promotion, like the trailer. That's 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 interesting. Um. Yeah. It's just this movie just leaves a bad taste in my mouth. Um. I I did already said the five things that stood out when I was dragging it, and I don't have any lines that stick to me. Um. Do you have any lines that stick to you? Because for me. Obviously, nothing that memorable, or else I would be able to think. It's not memorable. I would say that there was a kill count of 11. I think, and this is the highest kill count in all the movies. They didn't even sit there and go check on their friend. Um, I don't know if they were Sarah or Rachel, the one at the beginning of the movie. They mentioned her like she flaked out, but I'm like, did y'all ask, call and ask her why? She did, did she tell y'all that she wasn't coming? Y'all just decided, well, she's not here, so she's not coming. Um, What's up with that? Um, I will say that there was one queer aspect to this movie. Um, and that was the character of Duncan. I felt like Duncan, because you had Michael and the other guys playing volleyball. And Duncan was playing volleyball with them too, but he was on the girl side. And he seemed to be more about, he was always saying like, oh, so when are we going to do the party? And the girls were like, oh, it's only no no boys allowed. Ah, oh, come on, this, 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 and that. And, you know, it's like, okay, um, but there's no boys allowed. So I'm like, why would you sit there and, like, I ain't say it's a bad thing. It's just the fact that he looked like he was one of the girls and he was the guys. Like, he was one of the girls. And the guys seemed like they didn't take him seriously either. And I was like, he looked like he would probably be wimpy and everything like that, but at the same time, uh, 
at the same time. <clears throat> Excuse me. He seemed like he could be wimpy, but at the same time, he didn't come off as a wimp. He just came off as like one of the girls, like the, the friend. He was completely friend zoned. I'm talking about Duncan. He was completely friend zoned and he didn't look like he wanted to get out of the friend zone. Even when he joked and said, one of the girls, well, I can, you can sleep with me. And they were like, ew, gross. Like, you're like my little brother or like, you're like, you know, one of us. Like, no, I'm not going to sleep with you. You know, mm -hmm. so he, and yeah. then the part where he comes in the house, he so desperate to get in the house that he sits there and switches shirts with the piece delivery person. And when he gets in the house, instead of him trying to hit on, not saying that he had to hit on any girl, but he didn't try. He was sitting there eating pizza with them like he was supposed to be there in his PJs and everything. Like, so I was like, he's well, he was mostly more one of the girls than the other guys were because they were they let him in without a problem, but they had issues with the guys coming in scaring them. So what did you think about Duncan? Yeah, I I actually never thought of it that way. So <laughs> but I think you're spot on. Um, he's kind of yeah. like the Jeff and Neil of the movie. But yeah, just he, of yeah, he was he was put he, like that was put into this one character. And again, I want to stress that if I was anybody in this movie, I would have been the Duncan. Um, granted, if I actually wanted to go to a sleepover, now I'm the type of motherfucker who do not want to be around people for a long amount of time. But if I just had to go to the sleepover, I would be Duncan. Because I would be there sitting there eating pizza, especially in high school. You know, I wasn't, you know, active. I wasn't trying to sit there. I mean, you had, I had my female crushes and whatnot, but I swear to God, you know, looking back at me now as a teenager, um, looking back at me as a teenager, I would probably have been like, if a girl approached me with sex in the high school, I probably would have balked. And been like, oh, I don't have any condoms. I don't have any this, anything like that. Or they probably would have read and said like, oh, Mark, we know what's going on. You probably don't know yet, but we know what's going on because that's what actually happened. I was like, you know, oh, I like you. And girls would be like, oh, that's funny. Because they probably felt like, oh, Mark, you don't realize yet that you're gay as fuck. But, you know, I still tried. And that's probably what Duncan was at, you know, like. I'm trying to fit in, but in reality, these are like my girlfriends, and I probably would never sleep with any of them. Um, anything else about the film that stood out to you? I just think, um, like, have you seen the Sleepless Nights for Slumber Party Massacre Three? I did, but it's it's I can't remember. I can't remember it. I I've seen it twice and can't remember it. Out of all three of them, Sally Madison, the director of this one, just seems seemed very unenthusiastic, obviously. Right. And she was the most upfront about she did not want to make this movie. She wanted to do like a romantic comedy and was basically forced into making it. So I don't think she had any enthusiasm for it, and that really shows. And but the but I think it's like sad because if you're not a horror fan, but you have to make a horror movie, you should find mm. something to make it fun for you. Right. Which would have made it fun for the audience. But instead, it's just, there's no passion there. And I think uh, it has the most, like, it looks like the producers took over. Because I know that Maria's death scene, which, like, infuriates me, 
uh, the producers put a forced that scene in. If you notice, even if the, even though the girls are making really dumb decisions, they do stick up for each other. They have each other's backs. They're like, you know, hitting pen on the head with a plate to save the other one. When mm-hmm. in Maria's death yeah, scene, yeah. everyone just freezes and watches, and it makes absolutely no sense. No um, sense. And by that time, he was already. Um, was he already blinded with the bleach? Uh yes. Yeah. So um, they easily could have tackled him. And overall, this is really like the meanest of the franchise, like the mm. toughest to watch. Like there's that scene and the scene where he's like beating the shit out of Susie in the bed. Yes. Um, it's actually, yes. yeah, it's just really like, it's not just bad, it's like unpleasant to watch. Right. This one should have been called Unpleasant Dreams or something like that because, but then Elvira probably would have sued them for that. Um, but yes, yeah, Slumber Party Massacre 3, this is my final stance on it. It didn't get the memo to make this fun. And mm-hmm. as Brian just said, it was the most cringeworthy of all of them for many reasons, some from the acting to the subject matter of the killer's, you know, backstory to uh, well, his motive. It's like, I don't give a shit. It's like, why would you do this? Why are you not attacking the police force? You know what I'm saying? Or whatever. Or relatives or something like that. I don't know. Um, also, the whole scene with the um, drill bit and with Maria, it was just it's a no for me, dog. So I'm going to go ahead and move over to the final movie of our franchise. And that is the remake, the 2021 remake of Slumber Party Massacre. Um, I personally was apprehensive about this movie coming out when it was announced because by this time I had become a staunch um, supporter of the original movie and its first sequel. I was like, fuck the third one. I said the third one kind of left a a, a sour taste in my mouth. But surprisingly, this was damn good. It was one of those remakes that was on time and delivered and it didn't sing and it did not follow the same um it didn't remake itself straightforward it wasn't a straightforward remake it was a remake slash reboot and it gave it modernized the storyline and it still kept the feminism um the feminist aspect of it and they didn't beat us over the head with that. You know what I'm saying? And not saying that, I'm just saying that there's a way to get your message across without like being so, it's a great use of context, what I'm trying to say. Um, Black Christmas was yeah. not a great, 20, 2019 was not a great use of context. So it was just like, boom, boom, boom. It's just like, okay, we get it. Um, yeah. But but Slumber Party Massacre 2021 Again, this did not have any um, gross because it didn't play any theaters. This was this premiered first at Fantastic Fest 
last year on September 27th. So yes, so as of yesterday, it's a year old. Um, but it's oh, let's just, yeah, and it premiered on Sci-Fi October 16, 2021. But I know most people saw it at Fantastic Fest, and that reaction from that audience of those who saw it is what got me hyped to actually watch the movie because there were some people who were like why do they remake that? Who came out the um out of Fantastic Fest like, oh, that was a very damn good movie. And I feel like a lot of fans are gonna love it. And even non-fans of the Slumber Party Massacre fans are gonna end up loving it. This movie was directed by Danishka Esterhazy. I cannot pronounce her last name. I'm sorry if I butchered it. It was written by Suzanne Kylie and it was distributed by Shout Factory, a.k.a. Screen Factory. So thank you, Shout Factory and Shout Studios, for bringing this back to us. And it stars Hannah Gonera, Alex McGregor, Shalane Bennett, Mila Rain, and Rob Van Vuren as Russ Thorne. So let's just go through the synopsis of this real quick. In 1993... Trish Devereaux is having a slumber party in a cabin in Holly Springs, California with friends Jackie, Kim, and Diane. When Chad, Trish's ex-boyfriend, arrives to confront Trish, he looks through the window to see the girls dancing and begins to masturbate. He sees a strange figure on the other side of the cabin. That figure is Russ Thorne, a killer who uses his power drill and kills Chad. When Russ makes his way inside the cabin, Kim and Diane are murdered. When Trish tries to stop Jackie from opening the front door, Russ drills Jackie in the throat. <coughs> this was right after Jackie admitted to cheating on, um, cheating with Chad behind Trisha's back. I want to put that in there because that was a good moment. Despite getting drilled through her hand, Trish successfully escapes from Russ by hitting him with an oar, sitting him inside the lake. It is believed that Russ drowned, but his body is never found. In present-day Los Angeles, Trisha's daughter, Dana, is heading out for a girls' weekend with her best friends, Maeve. Um, is it Maeve or Mauve? Maeve. Maeve, okay. Brainy and Ashley. En route, the girls are in for a scare when they learn that Maeve, Maeve's... I just forgot just that fast. Uh, Maeve. <coughs> like Maeve. Okay, Maeve. Okay. They learned that May's younger sister, Alex, has stolen away. The girls reluctantly let Alex join them as they are on their way to the house they rented. Their car breaks down in the renamed Jolly Springs. When Ashley sees an ad for a cabin for rent that night, the girls talk to Kay, the owner of the general store in the cabin. Kay reluctantly lets the girls rent the cabin and warns them to stay quiet and stay still. As the girls start dancing, Alex gets bored and goes out for a walk. She sees a few guys at the cabin across the lake and soon finds the mechanic's truck in the middle of the road. The mechanic, Dave, falls on Alex with drilled-out eyes. A blood-soaked Alex goes, back to the, Alex goes back to the cabin and warns the others when they see her. The girls soon yell out, Pill out pillow fight and reveal to sport weapons such as knives and baseball bats. The girls reveal to Alex that they know Russ Thorne is still alive and they have set everything up in an attempt to bait him out and kill him once for all after 20 more victims have fallen since Trisha's encounter. <clears throat> um, that I did not pick up, but I'll get to that in a minute. 
The girls are interrupted by two of the guys from the cabin across the lake, John and Matt. John reveals he is a huge fan of a crime podcast, and he and his buddies have rented out the actual cabin Russ Thorne killed Trish's friends in. Noticing the weapons, Matt freaks out, and he and John leave. Dana and Maeve realize that Russ could pop out and go after the guys, so they decide to follow them. The guys return to the cabin and have some fun with Sean, Guy 1, and Guy 2. When Guy 1 decides to go for a quick walk outside the cabin, he sees Russ Thorne and is excited to see him. That is until Russ um, breaks out the drill and kills Guy 1. When the girls arrive to the guy's cabin, Russ turns off the lights, and during the chaos, Russ kills Guy 2 by drilling him in the head. Russ escapes, and the girls soon reveal to the surviving guys that Russ is alive and they need to stop him. They need to stop them. Sean grabs his guitar while Matt and John grab legs off their chairs and go after Russ despite the girl's warning. As Dana encounters Russ, a chase leads to Sean attempting to stop Russ and ends up getting drilled in the face. When Russ follows Dana to her cabin, she attempt, he attempts a sneak attack, but is soon met by the girls who, after beating him up, give Dana the chance to kill Russ with a slash to the throat. Alex runs out and repeatedly stabs Russ, ensuring his death. The next morning, the girls are relieved that they don't have to act fake anymore. Meanwhile, Matt and John ponder what everything going on. Matt decides to take a shower, and he is killed by a mysterious assailant. When Alex is forced to watch Russ while they attempt to call the police, she begins to get violently ill from a tin of cookies gifted the night before. Ashley, who is a mechanic, <coughs> attempts to fix Maeve's SUV, but finds the hood closed in on her by the same mysterious assailant who kills Ashley after turning off the motor which caused the car's fans to make fan blades to make impact. When others discover both Russ's body has disappeared and sees Ashley under the hood, they are attacked by the assailant who uses a nail gun. Brittany heads to the window to see if it is safe, and she is killed by a nail to her eye. Alex is still violently ill, and Dana looks for help while Maeve takes care of her sister. As Dana looks for help, she is confronted by John, who thinks she is responsible for Matt and Guy One's death. Dana tells John she killed Russ, but did not kill her friend. Um, as Dana pleads with John what they should that they should leave together to get help, John ends up ditching Dana. Dana finds Kay and tells her what has happened. Kay is revealed to be the mysterious assailant who killed Matt, Ashley, and Brittany because she is seeking revenge, as she is none other than Russ Thorne's mother. Kay goes after Dana, Maeve, and Alex. But soon enough, Trish arrives and starts a fight with Kay. When Kay uses a blade against Trish's injured hand, she is shocked to learn that Russ's drilling has caused the nerves in her hand to be numb, completely damaged to where she can't feel pain. Dana helps Trish by giving her Russ's broken drill bit, and Trish kills Kay by stabbing her in the chest with the broken drill bit. As Kay dies, Trish, Dana, Maven, and Alice all hug as the terror finally ends. Whew! That is a lot. That, that was a that lot. Was a lot. Yeah. They were detailed. Um, that was also by Wikipedia, y'all. So, what were your thoughts on Slumber Party Massacre 2021? Well, um, so I knew before it was even announced that they were eventually going to remake Slumber Party Massacre or do another sequel. Yeah. And I was just, like, so scared it would end up in the hands of someone like Jim Wynorski. Or, like, <laughs> that it, would be, it would be taken over by men who don't get Slumber Party Massacre, you know? Um, so I, I was actually, once they announced it and I saw that it was being written and directed by women, I was really excited, um, from the beginning, especially because I don't know if you, did you see Leprechaun Returns? 
Not yet. Okay, so that was also a sci-fi channel movie, mm-hmm. and I believe it was the same writer, and I thought that was a lot of fun. So Okay. I was sort of okay. in, in for this from the beginning. And, and yeah, I had a lot of fun. Like, I think from the moment, like, Trish uh, uh, wins against Restore, and he falls into the lake, and then the opening credits kick in, and it's like the same music from the original. Right. Like, okay, this is amazing. <clears throat> And I just, it was just so much fun, I thought, from beginning to end. I did not see the twist coming at all. Me neither. Yeah. I'm a big fan. I've seen it four times already. I've seen it two and a half. So, yeah, I mean, I could have sworn, and I might have misread, but I thought that Norman Reedus had something to do with it. Because I think they announced that he was going to help with the remake. And I was like, huh? And I'm like, no, don't oh, go, yeah. don't touch it. Don't touch it. You know, like, nobody needs to have that anything was, to do uh, with it. The easy to confuse. That was a sorority house massacre. Okay. Um, that was okay. like a sorority house massacre TV show or something. I feel like, I'm not sure, but I feel like that got canceled because I haven't heard anything about that. Me neither. I haven't heard anything else since then. Um, but I will say that um, when they announced it, I was excited. But like you, you know, like you said, also apprehensive because again, like you said, I was scared who was going to get their hands on it as well. And um, I, I don't know. I was just surprised, and I was mostly surprised at the reaction that it got at Fantastic Fest. Because some of the people who uh, saw it and praised it, like highly, 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 highly praised it, are very hard critics. So I was like, mm-hmm. if I usually don't give a shit what critics say, I'm 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 dead set on that. Um, there's movies that people shit on that I I adore, and there are movies that they love that I abhor. You know what I'm saying? It's just like I cannot stand yeah. them. So, but the fact that a lot of people liked it and I was like, okay, it might be pretty damn good. And again, who, who, um, what's the name? Danishka, whatever the name is, the director, she found the memo that the third movie didn't get. Um, and she made a damn good film that stands out amongst all the remakes. And despite it being, uh, direct to, and I'm doing air quotes because it was also released on Blu-ray. The uncut version was that was seen at Fantastic Fest. She 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 reinvigorated the franchise and had a lot of people want to go back and watch the original movies. And she managed to make, she managed to make this stand out amongst all the recent remakes. And despite it being a directed um, sci-fi channel movie, um, it was still damn good. In my personal opinion, it should not have been a directed sci-fi original. It should have been at least, I would hope, like, shit like uh, Creepers, what Creepers? I mean, Jeepers Creepers Reborn. And um, even even though I like Terrifier and I can't wait to see Terrifier 2, those, got, those are getting limited releases. I feel like Slumber Party Massacre should have got a limited release in theaters. That's just my opinion. Um... Yeah, I would have loved to have seen that in the theater. The kill count for this one, I think, was fairly um, smaller. No, it was also 11. 
because you got to count the girls in the beginning. And I like the fact that the girls in the beginning all have the original um, quartet's um, names. You know, Trish, uh, Trish, Jackie, Diane, and Kim. Um, yeah. Jackie actually got the same death that um, the original Jackie did, uh, albeit a little bit more gory. A little bit more gory. Yeah, a little bit more gory. Um, what's your favorite character moment in this movie? For me, it was... Um, I like the character of Alex, and I like... Um, actually, the beginning of the movie with Trish. I like Trish and Alex. Who was your favorite characters or your favorite character moments? Oh, my favorite character was Alex, too. She kind of gave me, like, Dawn energy. Like, if Dawn was more yes. Yes. And I think the moment I realized I really liked Alex is when they were all like, it was still early on, so we didn't get the twist yet. And they were all just like dancing and drinking and Alex was on the couch like, I wish I didn't come here. Because I would have said the exact same thing. Like, you you guys are too much. This is is not my thing. Um, Exactly. And I, another moment I loved from Alex is where they pretty much just, like, made fun of Trish, <laughs> Trish in the original, where Alex ran out way too late with the knife, screaming, and just started stabbing <laughs> us. Like, that's what Trish did. Um, yeah. It was hilarious. I died yeah. laughing. I don't die uh, laughing a lot, but when I do... It, it, it's it's worth it. Yeah, I I like this scene too. I also like the reveal because this is when yeah. we were, I was talking to you when I was first watching the movie, and I was like, "This is actually pretty good." And then you like, "Have you uh, what part of the movie?" Are you in? And I'm like, uh, "The shit just hit the fan." And then when Alex comes back in and she's like telling them what's going on, and they're like, "Sleep, um, uh, pillow fight." I'm like. The fuck is wrong with y'all? It's somebody outside. I'm like, I hope y'all not finna go to like straight up dumb mode where y'all are like, oh no, killers outside. And they start pulling out weapons. And then Alex was like, wait a goddamn minute. And they're like, yeah, we planned the whole thing. We came here to kill Russ's ass. I was like, oh my God, that is a, that is amazing. It is like because yeah. in any other situation, it would have been dumb. Like, okay, y'all come here to kill some guy, but this is, like, they planned this a year in advance, and they're not doing it for no reason. They're not just out there for no reason under the sun. You know, they're there to calm the nerves of Dana's mom, who survived this attack um, several years ago. And it's like we're trying to calm her nerves and trying to heal her trauma by fucking this dude up. And it's, it could have been easily been um, Dana going out there by herself and not telling the others what's, what's going on. Or she goes with them, or she goes them into going, but doesn't reveal the full plan. But the fact that she included them all in the plan, they were all like, yeah, bitch, let's do it. And there was it's that's yeah. the camaraderie that we know we didn't get in the last two movies. You know what I'm saying? It was just like every yeah. bitch for herself, except for in part three in some areas, like you said, you know, but I love the twist. And then when we actually see them take out Russ Thorne, I was like, that was pretty quick. And I'm like, 
a lot of them died. A lot of them survived too. I like all the guys are dead pretty much except for one and or two. And I'm like, something's up. And I smelled it. And so soon as the guy gets killed in the shower, which is a reversal of what you expect in a horror movie, because usually the girl's getting killed in the shower. And the I yeah. get that men in our queer area, but when he gets killed, I'm like, did he did Russ get up and did Alex like turn up back or something? He got up and left and come to find out that Russ is still there. You're like, who else is out there? It was like, oh my God, who else is out there? And it kind of like got real serious for a moment. You know what I'm saying? Like these girls are yeah. still in danger. Their guards are down. Definitely get picked off because they know they came to kill one person. They got him. Now it's somebody else out there stalking them. And I'm like, holy shit. I started to really get um, nervous for who was going to get go next because I actually loved all five of the girls. So when Bree... Yeah, me too. Yeah, so when Ashley got taken out, I was like, that was an interesting kill. But I was like, oh no. Then Bree, I'm like, oh no. And I was so scared that the rest of them was going to get killed. And the guy leaving them and all this shit. I was like, oh my God. So what did you think? I So when Russ Thorne died, I was disappointed. Because um, <laughs> I thought it was like going to be the end of the movie. And then like, right. after, see, I, I say I love all the chicks and I do, but I would have been disappointed if they all survived. Because, I mean, it's a slash yeah. movie. You know? Right. And I wanted, you know, at least three final girls, but I didn't want all the final girls all the girls to be final girls because that takes away something from you know what I'm trying to say. So, yeah. And my first thought was like I know it's not Russ Thorn doing the killing still. So I'm like okay now we have like a whodunit aspect that three tracks to do. And mm-hmm. it could literally be. And so I thought there was going to be a twist with one of the girls actually. Um, that would have been boss. That would have been five they did did. Yes, but I do like what they did, and I think it makes sense. It reminds me a little bit of Friday the 13th. Um, mm. And I think this sort of could be like a trilogy sort of thing. The first Slumber Party Master had a Halloween thing. The second mm. one had a Nightmare on Elm Street thing, and this one has the Friday the 13th vibe with the setting and with uh, the mom getting revenge. And three is just nothing. Um, right. A cash grab, but it, yeah, it was just it was so much fun. And yeah. where was uh, what was yeah. the question? What was the question? What was the question? Yeah, I feel like I just started rambling. No, I asked you, um, what did you thought about it? You know, and um, I agree oh, with everything oh, you said. Oh. Um, but I um what I liked about it, because it's just something you said about the trilogy aspect, and it kind of feels like this movie had was it was a trilogy all in one movie because you had the original uh, Massacre. You had a final girl in yeah, that yeah. one. Then you had the Massacre with the guys and, you know, all the men were getting killed. And then you had all the girls fighting back. And then they killed the killer in that. So that's, you know, they killed the killer. So that's the end of the second film or rather the second act and then the third act is like okay mama's pissed and she's coming back to finish where her son started and she takes out yeah. three of the girls uh, two of the girls and it's like oh shit so 
I kind of like that they kind of like gave us somewhat of three movies in one film. Um, or three acts. Yeah. The act is three movies in one film. But um, I need more. Which brings me to... Um, this is what I'm going to say. I want another movie. Uh, I feel like they should have done, instead of doing the um, Bring It On, Cheer or Die movie they did this year, I think they should have done a sequel to Son of Party Massacre. And it didn't, it probably had to be the same girls. It could have been like they did with the second movie, have Alex, you know, go do something and then maybe somebody else starts trying to kill them or something. But given the fact that they killed Russ Thorne, they thought they killed mm-hmm. Russ Thorne the first time. Then they actually killed him the second time. Then they actually killed the mom at the end of the movie because she was in on it too. It was just, I'm not going to mean the mom, I mean Russ Thorne's mom. Um, you know, it's kind of like sealed it from having a decent sequel per se with these characters or somebody from the movie. Um, what do you think? Uh, I never really thought about a sequel to it. Okay. But there is that guitar and <laughs> just hear me out. Maybe the guitar is like some sort of supernatural figure and it will mm. reincarnate Russ Thorne as a greaser. So we if get they some did if they did that, I, I would I would actually cheer for that. I would, some people I'd be like, why do they do that? I'm like, no, let them do it. Let them do it. It's 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 all brand. <laughs> let them do it, yeah. Um can we talk about all the like great little uh references or nods to the original of which there's of course. Of and then also the second one? Of course. Um, uh you start it off. Well obviously there's you know, we talked all the characters in the opening scene were named after the girls in the original. We just didn't get a Valerie, right. sadly. Um, right. But right. we did get a good, like, sister thing with Maeve and Alex. Mm. So that was sort of like the Valerie Courtney. Um, mm-hmm. There was the music. They brought the original theme back, which I did not expect. Because they only do that for, like, Halloween. Mm-hmm. Friday the 13th. And then... So I only I only picked up on this because uh, of the commentary with uh, Danishka Esther Haz, Esther Hazi. Oh, okay. trying I to pronounce. That but oh, I guess oh, the wait, road trip. What? No, go ahead. Oh, I guess the road trip scene was meant as a little homage to the road trip in the second one. Mm. So I thought that was cute. Um, and then we, we see the telephone repair van as in the original. Mm-hmm. My mind's starting to go blank, but I know there's so many. Obviously, the guitar, mm-hmm. which I thought was awesome. The two mm-hmm. guys popping up at Slubber Party unannounced, uh, or, you know, but for this particular situation, it was unannounced. Uh, so. And then them having a whole yeah. cache of guys the other side of the uh, lake, which was also pretty cool. Uh, the mechanic getting his eyes drilled out, just like the piece of delivery man. Um, yeah, it's so it's it's a lot of stuff that's crammed in there. Um, 
Yeah. Kay reminds me kind of of um, Courtney and Valerie's mom from the sequel, um, a um, little bit, but okay. not too much. And with Kay, when we first see her in the woods, she's snail hunting, apparently, like Mr. Content. Right. Yeah. Uh, and then the fact that Trish comes back and helps the girls out. It's kind of reminiscent of Coach Jana coming and helping the girls out. Except that yeah. this time she survives. <laughs> and so yeah. Because uh, yeah. um, I'd have been pissed if she came back just to only to sit there and get killed. Um yes, I would have walked right out of my living room. <laughs> Unlike a certain other final girl that come back for no reason and gets killed. Uh, I'm not gonna mention her name at the moment, but um what else what's like one of your favorite moments from the movie outside of the throwbacks or what's like a line to die for or, huh. or something that stuck out oh well a nice little moment i love because we know now that ashley was just playing dumb for the whole mm-hmm. movie and i just thought it was really cute when she's she's the um shark stuff on the wall and she's like did they catch these in the lake and he's like that's a shark. And she's like, I know. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I like um, the whole scene. Go, go ahead. No, you finish your sentence because I, I, I'll get to the rest of it. No, I just was like, say, I like the whole scene in the um, um, grocery store uh, with between the girls and the whole, what was the thing? The little wood thing of the, the guy, penis the penis man, and she was like, "Do you want to buy the penis man?" Yes, I want to buy the penis man. Because <laughs> it's just like just such a like a dork, a dorky teenage thing that somebody would do. Like this is so funny, but you know, everybody else is like, "Okay, you actually spent whatever for that, like for real." But for them, it would be something that you would cherish on a road trip. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. And then there's the little bit. Oh, I'm sorry. Did you say something? No, say what was the what was what were you saying? Oh, there was like a little bit of flirting between Dana and Maeve. Yes, I'm surprised they didn't go further with. um, But whatever, it was cute. Yeah, it was cute. I loved. Oh, I was just gonna say I loved everything involving the men was hilarious to me. Um, I love how they were out slumber partying the girls. Yeah, yeah, they were. They were. Uh, I like the scene with them. Um, the actually the scene with them with the pillowcases and hitting each other and the feathers flying all over the place. And then they don't have any shirts right. on. Reminded me of Slumber Party Massacre too. And I was like, oh, they're so hot. And the music played a little like. Like music playing around them. I'm like, yes, this is the eye candy that we deserve because they know who the audience is gonna be for this movie. <laughs> yeah, and then the girls like watching through the window and they're they're just sort of like, oh, they literally say, like, are they out slumber partying us? <laughs> and mm. and they're not acting like the guys in the original where they're like, Oh my god, this is amazing. They're just like, This is bad. But <laughs> I but I agree. I was all in for it. I'm like, this is amazing. I will 
take like all the extra footage they have of this if there's like yes an extended version there's probably an extended version i pray if they don't have it out right now well i have the blu-ray but i pray if they do have a extended version hidden somewhere they need to go ahead and release it it's only fair i mean i can't go buy slow part of basket 2 on blu-ray right now so Hopefully they do give us a treat with an extended version of Slow Party Basker, preferably the boy sleep a slow party scene. <laughs> yeah. Um I mean, I think I've talked about all the stuff that stuck out for me. I uh, guess the overall significance of the film is the fact that, you know, it's relevant as fuck and it's a great it still is in the spirit of the original in terms of like women making horror and making it relevant horror yeah. and actually having fun with it while saying a few things or having uh, a few criticisms about the genre that is that that the, that they're playing in, and it's like a modern like I said it before it's a modern take on the original. But at the, but at the same time, it's also um it's timely because it is giving commentary on you know today's um youth and horror fans because the thing with the guys being true crime fans and being actually renting out the house that um the murders happening in the original movie is like right on the money because people would do that. You look at how many people, even American Horror Story touched on that when the people rented out uh, Murder House in American Horror Story season one, they rented out the Murder House to sit there and relive, um, not relive, but try to get like, I just want to be in a spot where this actually happened. That's kind of what most people are into nowadays when it comes to like true crime and even some horror because you see so many people are touring certain horror locations because they are fans you know so yeah you have it's like the movie had the different odd it, it gave something for the different audiences of these genres and i don't know i i just loved it um what about you um oh <laughs> what was the I, <laughs> I mean, what's what's your overall take on the movie? Yeah, I think it reminds you of what works so well about the original, while also uh, having an identity of its own, and fills that giant hole that you're left with after watching *Summer Party Massacre* three. Um, right. And I just, it's just so much fun and you can tell they had so much fun like even from the beginning like writing the script was <laughs> you could tell they just had fun writing the script and it shows on the right. screen um, right. and I, I do hope right. that we get a sequel or something out of it because it's just it was so much fun it leaves you wanting more yeah it it like i said i would love a sequel hell it could be uh it don't have to be a direct sequel it could just be a sequel about another um drill killer a uh, driller killer or something just give us more and i'm noticing a trend with sci-fi lately um where they're bringing back the classics in some way because you mentioned Le- leprechaun returns which was a direct sequel to the original movie ignored all the other sequels 
I think the other sequel was ignored, this movie that came before it. So it made sense for them to have a direct sequel to that. Then they did um, Slumber Party Massacre, and now they're doing Sure, um, um, Bring It On, Sure or Die. I think they're doing different things for different franchises and whatnot. Don't touch the major franchises. Just give us the stuff that came out in the 80s or whatnot. Now, if they do eventually come around and do a Sorority House Massacre remake, you know, that's cool. Um, too, but, you know, just, you know, keep up the good work sci-fi with that, uh, and especially with Chucky. Um, I, that's pretty much it for our Slumber Party Massacre uh, show. It seems that this is going to be a two-part episode because it is at this clocking as as I'm right now. It's at three hours, so I'm gonna bring, I'm gonna split this episode up. We're gonna probably do the first two movies in one episode, and then the last two movies in a separate episode. So, um, thank everybody who stopped by to listen to this and listen to us get a gash to listen to us um, gab about Slumber Party Massacre. Like I, I think I can speak both of us, Brown. I say that this is a franchise that will never die with us because it is, it's a, it's a relic of its time period, but it still reinvents itself with each film. Even though the third one dropped the ball, it kind of. But I would give the third one another accolade: is that it, it is up there with some of those weird thriller movies that came on late at night on sci-fi, not sci-fi, but on Cinemax or HBO or Showtime or something, uh, where there's always, you know, like this moody person or like this film noir type thing that they did. in um, I call it 90s noir, where it was just like, I don't know. I, I don't know, but that's what I feel, that the, each movie in the franchise gives its own identity whether and I think the only one yeah. that has a bad identity is three, and I think that's what is the charm of the Slumber Party Massacre franchise is that it can be perceived, perceived it can be perceived as being like carbon cut copies of each other, but each film has its own tone, its own identity, its own um, you know shebang. I guess you know. So, any last thoughts on that? I yeah. No, my mind went blank. Oh, I think my brain is dry. I'm sorry. My brain is dead, too, and I still have to work. So, at least you still remember your um, socials, right? There. Okay, yeah. oh. so there is one scene I'd like to talk about all the way back in the original that I forgot to mention. Okay. And it was, like, the first time I noticed it. But when Valerie and Courtney are investigating around Trish's house, because they're trying to figure out what's going on, but they don't know yet what's going on. There's still blood all over the back door from when I, it's either Jeff or Neil got killed. Right. It's, right. it's right in front of them, and they're talking to each other like, I don't know what's going on here, but something's definitely off. <laughs> right. That is I'm glad you that mentioned that. Be, that was like, a parody moment. <laughs> like, I, <laughs> but I love that it's there so much. And it, it definitely would have made way more sense if the movie was a straight up parody, but I'm glad it's there anyway. I'm, I'm glad you pointed it out because that's something that I did pick up on and forgot to mention because I'm like, y'all, this blood right there. And 
I'm pretty sure there's blood all over the property. I mean, he's been dragging bodies all over the place. Like, this also goes back to the, the neighborhood. Like, nobody had to be in the neighborhood because he was dragging bodies across the street. You know what I'm saying? Like, because yeah. I think Jeff or Neil's body was across the street. So he had to drag their body back, you know, to the area and hide it. It's just like nobody was watching anything. And it's just a charm. And I think I, one last thing about the remake is that I'm glad that they took it out of a suburb and actually put it in an isolated cabin in the woods because it made more sense for all the shit to go down there and people not yeah, interfere uh-huh. because it'd have been, it would have been uh, um, implausible for them to be like in the middle of like Venice, California doing this shit and nobody looking out with their cell phones like, oh shit, somebody's getting drilled across the street. <laughs> So, well, I guess we could wrap it up there. So, Brian, where can everybody find you at? That's if you want them to find you. I understand if you don't want anybody to be contacting you in five minutes, but where can they find you if you want to share your socials? Okay, well, you can find me on Instagram at how big, how blue, how Brian, which is, yes, it's after a Florence and the Machine album, not after a Lana Del Rey album. Um, <laughs> But it's so, so that's, the only, that's, that's the only place you can find me. Repeat that again. Any other? Uh, which part? The the handle. Oh, uh, how big? How blue? How bright? Okay. Um, um, I'm on Facebook, but don't look for me, and I'm nowhere else. Just Instagram. Hey, I feel you on there because I tell people I'm on Facebook as well, but to not to look for me. So uh, for me, you can find me at um, Marco Estes or Midnight Social Distortion on Instagram. On Twitter, you can find me at The Anti-Critic. And also you can find me here on this podcast. And coming soon, you can also find me on Scream Kings. That's Kings with a Z. Where I will be joined by joined by I'll be joined with Taman Kane, Bobby Torres, and Michael Brown as we discuss different aspects of horror through a Black Gate lens. Uh, so just check us out. Our first episode drops October twelfth on our YouTube channel, which is also going to be called Scream Kings. So thanks everybody for listening to us, and I hope to do this again with you soon, Brian. Yeah, I'd love to come back. Cool. Maybe another 84 years from now. It might be. Who knows? Yeah. Let's pray it doesn't be that long, though. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so everybody was nice um, chilling with y'all. And as always, keep it spooky. Bye. Bye, everybody.